This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Cards issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC. Terms and conditions apply. Here you go. Here you go. Hope. It's the nothing personal word of the day. Today is March 26th. A day that we all knew about inside the industry Almost a year ago, maybe eight, nine months ago. See, the schedule comes out for Major League Baseball the following season. You get your first draft in the middle of June, sometimes even earlier. And then there's back and forth and questions, and you look to see when your opening day is. That's the first thing you look at. Then you look to see who your home opponents are as you start building your revenue models. March 26th, opening day. Every opening day, you have hope. You have hope that this will be the year of year, no matter what the prognosticators say. No matter what you believe to be true about your team, you start the season in first place. That's something we would tell the players at an opening day team meeting. Every year, we'd have a team meeting opening day. We would address the team, and I would always say the same thing, maybe in different ways, different angles, depending on what was going on. But I would always say this. We have a story to write over the next 162 games. We are responsible to write it, and it gets written in paragraphs, and every paragraph has three sentences, and every sentence is what you do every at-bat, every pitch, every inning. And then at the end, we'll look back and see what kind of book we've written. But we're O and O. We have hope. You have to remember, of course, Shawshank Redemption Tim Robbins, hope. Hope is the only thing that matters. Without hope or nothing on opening day, it's about hope. So today, uh, so you want to talk to Samson. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. A perfectly timed, because it's exactly what I wanted to talk about. Thank you for downloading, rating, reviewing, subscribing, all of it. Tweet at me at David P. Sampson. Ask me questions, I'll answer them. It was a very simple, so you want to talk to Sampson. How about some opening day stories? Just like that. Well, guess what? This is the ultimate remember that day when. So I start by telling you, 
So you want to talk to Samson? You want to remember that day when? How about my first ever game as the executive vice president of the Montreal Expos in 2000, 2000, April 3rd, 2000? We were playing the Los Angeles Dodgers in Olympic Stadium. The thing is, in Montreal, what we knew is that opening day always attracts huge crowds and then they disappear. We knew that we were coming in after a long, tumultuous process where the Expos were sold to Jeffrey Loria, and I was a young executive vice president. We were the French-speaking New Yorkers coming in, trying to maybe save the day, knowing that we were likely the violinists on the Titanic. But we wanted to see if we could make a splash. On the field, we had put together a team. We had signed a free agent named Graham Lloyd, We gave him $3 million a year for three years, making him the highest paid late inning reliever because we needed someone to take care of the eighth inning when we had Ugeth Urbina. Yes, the same Ugeth Urbina who was with us in Florida three years later. But we had an opportunity to have a team that we thought had a chance. So Justin Hermanson was the starting pitcher. Kevin Brown was the starting pitcher for the Dodgers. But the biggest decision we had all spring training, and we were just learning the game. I didn't know much about baseball. I was learning from Jim Beatty, our general manager, from Larry Beinfest, our assistant general manager, from scouts. Our manager was Felipe Alou. Yes, the father of the current Mets manager, Luis Rojas. The biggest decision was what do we do at catcher and at third base? See, we had a catcher named Chris Widger, And we had a catcher named Michael Barrett. And Jeffrey, the owner of the team and a bunch of other baseball people, thought that it would be good for Michael Barrett to be the starting catcher. He was an up-and-coming player. He would end up having a decent career, actually. But there was some consternation amongst the baseball people. And the thought was that Chris Widger should actually catch and Michael Barrett should play third base. So that was the focus on the baseball side, what we were going to do. Off the field, we wanted to start the season with a bang, with a memorable pregame ceremony. And we came up with the craziest ceremony that completely bothered Felipe Alou and all of our baseball people because they had never seen it before. We were going to introduce the players by having them walk through the crowd. Remember, this is pre-9-11. That's 2001. We were going to have them walk through the crowd onto the field, slapping five. This is pre COVID-19, no social distancing at all. They were going to walk through the crowd, give high fives. But then the final, final would be that Michael Barrett himself would catapult from the roof of Olympic Stadium right down to the pitcher's mound to hand the ball to Dustin Hermanson prior to introductions in the start of the game. Of course, Michael Barrett had an agent. And there was no way that they were going to allow Michael Barrett to catapult down from the roof like rope mountain climbing, coming down, whatever that's called. So what we did is once I gave up on that, we dressed up a stuntman to look like Michael Barrett. We hid Michael Barrett in the clubhouse. We had the whole crowd look up. It was 30,000 real people. I hadn't yet started to make up attendance maybe even more. They look up, down comes Michael Barrett. People are losing their minds. First of all, I have to tell you what is so funny about this story that I'm completely wrong. So I'm not going to start again. I mixed up the names. 
Chris Widger ended up being the starting catcher. Chris Widger was the person who was going to be catapulted because we agreed to let the baseball people prevail and have Michael Barrett start the game at third base. That's funny. This is live, nothing personal. So we look up. Chris Widger comes catapulting down. It's not really Chris Widger. The crowd goes crazy. I'm all excited. This is a brilliant opening day. Vladimir Guerrero has come through the stands and slapped people high five. Orlando Cabrera, Jose Vidro. It was an exciting time. We thought we had a good team. At least we had hope that we could have a good team. The Dodgers, Kevin Brown. Here it goes. Dustin Hermanson takes the mound. First inning, first batter. Dustin Hermanson pitches, ground ball to Michael Barrett, our new third baseman, right through his legs. I kid you not, Michael Barrett made an error on the first chance he had after we spent 30 days arguing about whether Michael Barrett should play third or catch. We wanted him to catch. He ended up playing third base right through the wickets. That is my biggest memory of the first ever game I had in Major League Baseball. I had no idea how many more opening days I would have. I always would assume that every opening day was my last because every president gets hired to be fired like every manager and every player gets signed to be released or retire. So that was opening day number one. Yada, yada, for all you Seinfeld fans, yada, yada, two opening days later, I'm now the president of the Florida Marlins. That is a yada, yada for another day. And whoo, that was some yada in. So I was living in Montreal. I never officially moved to Montreal. I actually lived in a hotel called the Intercontinental in room 2512. That was my home for two and a half years. And I negotiated a rate where I was able to stay and keep my stuff there. And I would go on the road with the team. I'd go back to New York to see family, whatever I'd be doing. So in 2002, our first ever game as owner president of, I was the president, not the owner, of the Florida Marlins, guess where we were? Now, this is not a coincidence. Yeah, it sort of is. I actually believe that Bud Seeley, the commissioner, wanted this to be the opener because it's so humorous. The Marlins were playing the Expos. After we had sold the Expos to Major League Baseball in 2002, we then took over the Marlins from John Henry. It's game one. We're in Montreal as the visitor. I am there, the most hated person in Montreal, because we had sold the team to baseball and the team was going to be moved, contracted, whatever was going to happen. So there was a thought by people still in Montreal who had worked for me the previous year that I should not go to the game. But I was definitely going to the game because it was my first ever game as president of the Marlins. So I was told stay in a suite. I didn't want to do that. <clears throat> but I went to the game with uh, Larry Beinfest, and, uh, who had moved to Florida with us and had become the general manager of the Marlins. And people thought, because he was bigger than I, that he was my security guard. But in fact, they were watching me and everyone was okay. It turns out people are more apt to dislike you via internet or behind a keyboard. It's called cyber courage, I like to call it. But I go to the game and it's freezing in Montreal, but there's a roof at Olympic Stadium and it's going to snow that day, but we have the opener and we're with the Marlins and we had been under a lot of pressure coming into the Marlins after John Henry had sold them. 
It was not a great situation. There was no new ballpark. We wanted to see if we could possibly do well on the field and see what could happen. So opening day comes. We go through the game. The Marlins have a chance to win. We have a closer named Braden Looper. For those of you who know, Braden Looper becomes a very important part of our bullpen the following year when we win the World Series. But who knew that then? So it's 2002, April. Looper takes the mound to get the save. And wouldn't you know it, our former player, Orlando Cabrera, gets a base hit and the Expos walk us off in opening day. They literally walked us off. So Larry and I look at each other because we know we're going to get a call from the owner and we know we're going to get in trouble. And it was bad. We are driving back from Olympic Stadium very late because we had to stay and go to the clubhouse and we talked to the manager of the Marlins, who was Jeff Torborg, who we had had with the Expos after we fired Felipe Alou at the Expos. He moved with us to Florida. Of course, we'd fire him the next year. So we're talking about the fact that Looper is just what a horrible way to start a season. But that's baseball. Jeffrey, who is a passionate, emotional owner, loves baseball more than any other owner I've come across and just wants to win every game. It's hard to be an owner when you're that when you're that way, because you're going to be miserable between 60 and 100 nights a year. And I mean miserable. My whole rule after a loss is let it go. Spend 30 minutes miserable. It's the 30-minute rule. Don't make decisions within those 30 minutes and then move on to the next day. But what happens? We get a call. As I'm driving with Larry Beinfest, he's dropping me at the Hotel Intercontinental. It's snowing outside. And we get a call saying, Looper's got to, no more closing for Looper. Jeffrey, who I will always love and do, not just for on the field, off the field, so emotional. He wanted to win so badly. And I thought that would be the worst part of 2002 season, no doubt. So we get back to Florida. We end up letting Looper continue to close. He blows another save, and it's a nightmare with Looper. But he ends up again. Actually, I must tell you, Looper got the most important pitching appearance. For all of you celebrating the 2003 Marlins or looking back in history about a team that won a World Series, what's never talked about is the extra inning, in extra innings, that Braden Looper pitched when he had bases loaded, no outs against the Giants back with Barry Bonds and gave up one run and got Barry Bonds to line out and we were able to come back and win that game. One of the most important things that happened in the 03 postseason was because of Braden Looper. Thank God we didn't release him. But I thought that would be it for 2002. We're good. So we go back to Florida. It's the home opener. Feels like opening day when it's the home opener. It's 2002. Our entire attendance, I had not yet started to make up attendance in Florida. Maybe I had. We announced 23,877. That is a tiny opening day crowd in the vast pro player stadium. Because people were upset with John Henry for having sold the team and not building a ballpark. They were upset with Wayne Huizinga for breaking up the 1997 champions and doing a fire sale. And we had come in with a bad reputation for what we did in Montreal. It was just a cluster. So I'm watching. It's my first home game as president of the Marlins. It is my third season in baseball. I get a phone call. I kid you not. I get a phone call in the sixth inning with the following line from my 
PR, my consigliere, my guy, PJ Loyello. David, the concession stands have run out of hot dogs. <laughs> I laughed. I said, there's, there's no way, right? It can't be that you run out of hot dogs. We are a baseball stadium. I don't care if there's 23,000 or 50,000. We'll give the extra hot dogs to feeding South Florida. You cannot run out of hot dogs. This can't be right. So I immediately call our stadium operations people who we had zero control of. Keep that in mind. When we were in Pro Player Stadium from 2002 to 2011, that was run by the Miami Dolphins ownership. We had no control over the concessions, over anything. And I'm a control guy. It was a nightmare. Except I had to face the media. I had to face the media and tell them that we ran out of hot dogs. It was written about in every column. We were the laughing stock. I wish I would have known then to say, yeah, but we're about to raise a banner two years from today. But instead, I had to explain that it's true. There were some concession stands that ran out of hot dogs. Back then, I wasn't doing nothing personal. Back then, I was spinning everything I would say to the media. So I said, we ran out of hot dogs at some of the concession stands. Now, my definition of some is any number fewer than all. So I was right. No hot dogs. 2002 home opener. Oh, I got another opening day story. I got so many. It's opening day. How do you not want to hear more opening day stories? So 2003, we win the World Series. After the World Series, we do our best to keep a team together. We actually trade Derek Lee, the first baseman, to the Cubs for Hesop Choi. We lose Pudge Rodriguez to a 40-year, $40 million deal with Detroit that there's no way we're going to match. We have Ramon Castro who's going to catch. But the rest of the team is back. And Mike Redman, a future manager, was the backup catcher. So we go into 2004. We believe we have a good rotation. We believe we have a good team. Yes, we lost Pudge, but we think we have a chance. We go and our opening day after the World Series, it's, I only experienced one of these, the memory of raising a banner, the memory knowing that you're a few days away from a ring ceremony. Why didn't we do the ring ceremony on opening night? You know the answer to that. You're a loyal, nothing personal watcher and listener. We spread out the excitement so we could draw a big crowd to when we gave out the rings. So there's no way we're going to combine raising the banner and giving out the rings. Nah, we're making that two different days. So on this opening day, we simply raised the banner. And I remember thinking to myself as I was watching it, because I, I literally remember it as though it were yesterday, and it was 16 opening days ago, because this is 2020, minus 16 is 2004. I used my toes. <laughs> but I was just looking, saying, this is permanent. This is legacy. We have made a memory for tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, dare I say, millions of people around the world. Yeah, maybe not, but I'd like to say that. And you're going to prove me wrong? You're going to tell me that there aren't millions of Marlins fans? They may not go to games, but they're out there somewhere. We won a World Series. You can never take that away. The banner gets raised and we go on to play a game and he stopped Choi drives in three and we win the game. I remember so well. I was so happy. He stopped Choi had a good game. Now, Derek Lee, great guy. And I, when I see him, it's hugs. We won a World Series together. 
But I was rooting so hard for him not to be good for the Cubs and for Hesop Choi to be good for us so we could at least say we won the trade. I was rooting for Pudge to maybe stop taking steroids and not be good for the Tigers. All these things were going on, and I admit it to players. I talk to them. Of course, I'm going to root against you, but I love you, but I want the decisions we made to be right. For one day, they were right. I like that story. All right. How about this opening day? Who remembers opening day 2012? Let me bring you behind the scenes of what went on that day. That was opening day of Marlins Park. That's a day that I've been looking forward to since 2002, 10 years. The amount of work that everyone did to get to that home opener, I was merely a small part of that. We get to opening day. We had everything prepared. It was completely sold out. We had arranged, if you had any idea how hard it was, Billy Corbin would be proud. The amount of work it took to place politicians where they had to go opening day so they weren't near each other and they were in different places, different seats. We had VIPs. We had big business leaders coming. We had to make sure they were taken care of and where they'd sit. It was like a puzzle, the likes of which I hadn't done since 2003 when we had to put together postseason political maps. So we had hired Emilio Estefan, a dear friend, a lover of Miami, an icon of Miami, and a man named Bernie Eumann, who is maybe one of the most famous managers and talent managers of all time. Siegfried and Roy, the Estefans, he's a producer, a brilliant man. We wanted to do an opening day ceremony of a new park that would never be forgotten. Little did I know how right that would be. We got Muhammad Ali to come and throw the first pitch. Muhammad Ali, who at that time, his Parkinson's was quite advanced, but he agreed because his manager was Bernie Human. So he agreed, Bernie did, and Emilio, to get Muhammad Ali. Emilio planned all these great dances, so our players were introduced with like dancing women who were wearing feathers. They were escorted out of the dugout. It was total Miami. We wanted this to be the most Miami thing ever. So I'm getting ready. I'm making all the stops I have to make hours before the game starts. I get word that Muhammad Ali is arriving. So I want to go greet Muhammad Ali, and we had a special area for him to be. He was going to come in the clubhouse, address our team before the season, and then go out to the mound and deliver the first pitch. It was all planned. I get a call that Muhammad Ali is coming. I go say hello. I'd never met him. It's, I mean, he's the greatest star I've ever met in my life to this day. What he did in and out of the ring. There's no description of Muhammad Ali. One of the most influential people. Be calm when I say this. Muhammad Ali is one of the single most influential people in the history of the world. Now, we have plenty of time in quarantine to make a list of the most influential people in the world. But when you look at non-political leaders, non-sort of people who engage in wars, Muhammad Ali, I would say, is in the top 25 in terms of the influence he had. So I get the call. I go say hello, and there's something wrong. He, he seems uh, not what I expected. And I said immediately, immediately, and I couldn't say anything to Jeffrey, the owner, at this point, but I immediately said to our GM, Larry Beinfest, I said, there's something wrong here. So I called Bernie Human, 
and he's there. He comes and he said, everything's fine. Don't worry. They move Muhammad Ali into the green room and it turns out things weren't fine. He was having what happens when you have Parkinson's. He was having an episode. And this episode was such that there was no way he could take the field. There was no way he could meet the players. It was all going to have to be canceled. And everyone was excited. We had announced it. It was a huge deal. And I remember having to tell Jeffrey, you have to come down here and talk to me because he was with Muhammad Ali. And we were saying, we have to delay, except we were on national TV. This was the opener for Marlins Park. We had to call baseball and say, we are in a delay. Why? Not because of rain. We'll get to that. Why? Because Muhammad Ali cannot be put in public right now. We are speaking to his family, to his nurse, to Bernie, to Emilio. And as it turns out, there was a thought that maybe, maybe he could recover in time and the episode would end. So the players are all on a schedule. They're getting ready. Josh Johnson is our opening day pitcher. And I say to Josh, we don't have a start time yet. So our manager at the time was Ozzie Gein. It was his first game. He was furious. Josh Johnson was less than happy. The players were annoyed that we were letting the show get in the way. And I had to go into the clubhouse, this brand new, amazing clubhouse and say, guys, there's nothing I can do. We are waiting for Muhammad Ali. He is going to come in here and address you when he's ready. We are not starting this season till you get addressed. We are not starting this season till he makes a public appearance, which what could very well turn out to be his final public appearance. Little did I know. 10 minutes later, 20 minutes later passing, I'm getting panicked because I don't know what to do. The crowd is there. We haven't made an announcement, which is my fault. We should have told the crowd what was happening. We should have told them. But Muhammad Ali and his people did not want word to get out that the delay was because of Muhammad Ali. So I am we're going back and forth, clubhouse, press box, to the VIPs in the stands, running around like a chicken without a head, always checking in back with Muhammad Ali. Finally, we get the word, you know what? He can come out of his room now. So I take advantage of that and run through that sliver of hope so quickly. Meanwhile, I'm schwitzing like you can't believe. I've got a jacket and tie on. The roof is closed. It's not cold enough inside. It's super hot. The roof is, actually the roof was open because we wanted to do a flyover um, on a, in, in April of 2012. So it therefore was very hot. I go down. We wheel, Muhammad Ali's in a wheelchair. He's not moving at all. We bring him into the clubhouse and the players crowd around him as though we, I'm getting emotional just thinking about it. The players crowd around him as though they had been in the presence of God. He couldn't really talk. He would take pictures by putting, if you're watching, you're seeing me put my, my fist against my face. That's how Muhammad would take pictures with everyone. He would put his fist to the face of the players. The players lined up one at a time to take a picture. We had certain executives in there who were allowed to take pictures. We had certain VIPs who were in there. We addressed the team. And at that moment, we said, okay, we're going forward with this game. And we read a quote from Muhammad Ali about what it means to work hard. A quote that used to be in the clubhouse. I'm sure that it's no longer there because that would have something to do with our time there which has been erased. I'm not bitter. I'm just telling you what it is. Muhammad Ali meets everyone. He is inspirational. He doesn't even have to address the, 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 the players. We come out. We start. Muhammad Ali goes for his first pitch in a golf cart. 
We have the golf cart go, and he hands the ball because he couldn't do anything else. And he was shaking. It was so horrifically sad but poignant. And we got criticized to no end. People were looking away. People were upset. I kid you not, as I'm taping this, I'm getting a phone call right now from Jeffrey Laurie, the owner of the team. His ears must be burning. I'm not going to take the call right now because I'm doing this show with you. So I'm going to hit decline, which I never used to do for 1999 to 2017. So cut back to the game is starting and the media is getting upset because they're hearing fans who are, it's horrid. They can't believe that we would parade out Muhammad Ali and have people have their last memory of him looking the way he did. But it's so critical to me that that happened. I don't regret one thing about that opening night of Marlins Park. Now I regret the outcome of the game. I regret the outcome of the season. Josh Johnson, the best part of opening day, his performance was strike one. The first pitch in Marlins history, we kept the ball, was a strike one. But he got scored on in the first inning. We lost to the Cardinals. We almost got no hit. But Muhammad Ali made a difference to every one of those players. So for every player who was there in 2012, you know very well that you will never forget meeting Muhammad Ali. For every fan who was there, you will never forget that you got to see him. No, it wasn't perfect. Yes, he was sick. But you got to be in the presence of one of the greatest men who ever lived in history. So I didn't think any opening day could ever beat that. That's Marlin Park. That's the opening of Marlin's Park. Everything is going phenomenally well. So from where I stand, it's great. We have a roof. We don't have to worry about pro player anymore. We're in control of concessions. We're going to have hot dogs. We're in control of our destiny. Everything is perfect. Cut to opening day, 2015. This is absolutely true. It's almost impossible that it happened. The way it worked at Pro Player Stadium with rain delays and rainouts is there was a head groundskeeper, and I would go down with our GM, and we would meet in our head of stadium operations, and we would meet with the groundskeeper every day at four o'clock. We'd look to see the storms that were coming, and we would have delays, very few rainouts, but a lot of delays. I'd go meet the umpires. I'd go meet the different managers. Life would go on. Marlins Park, none of that. We didn't even have a tarp. In order to come in under budget, we didn't keep the tarp. We had it way outside of the ballpark. We didn't want to take up. I mean, it was hilarious what we did because what do you need a tarp for? You don't. You have a roof and we would test the roof. The roof would work. It's literally a button that you press. The roof closes, takes about 11 minutes. We had practiced. Everything's great. We had been in the ballpark already for three seasons everything's great. And the way that I would make decisions about the roof is we'd call roof, no roof. I would work in conjunction with Claude Lorme, who was our head of stadium operations. And he and I, no kidding, we had a weather app. We would look at our weather app and we would say, hey, looking good. So 2015 home opener, roof open. The crowd files in, scores at a time. The game's being played. Wei Yin Chen, we had signed him to a long-term deal in that offseason. That same long-term deal that you all hate now because five years, $80 million, this was his first start. We, he was going to be, it was going to be perfect. 
He was going to be great coming from the Orioles where he had a, a sub four ERA in an American league. When you've got a sub four in the American league with the DH, that translates almost a full run lower in the National League. So this, you're talking about an all-star pitcher. Wei and Chen's on the mound. Love our team. All of a sudden, I'm looking up in the sky. Everything looks good. I look at my app, and there's a little bit of a cell east of Marlins Park on Miami Beach. Nothing, no problem. All of a sudden, I'm sitting in the suite, and honest to God, it starts raining. And I'm looking, and I'm thinking there's a leak. I'm thinking that, that maybe someone's playing a joke. It is raining inside Marlins Park. I don't know what to do. There's nothing we can do. I look at my phone and this little cell of green showed up literally over Marlins Park out of nowhere. We had to have a rain delay in 2015, a real rain delay. I called down to Jeffrey, who was sitting next to the dugout. I explained to him, there's about to be a rain delay. There's nothing I can do. And I read you his quote. He said, I'm pretty sure we had an effing roof. That was his quote to me, and then he hung up. That quote got reported. They took out the F word. But that's actually what he said. I'm pretty sure we had an effing roof. What was I supposed to say to that? There was nothing I could do. I had to hold a press conference after that game to explain why we had a rain delay at Marlins Park. To date, the only rain delay in the history of Marlins Park. It's, it's incomprehensible to me. Uh, I guess one more home opener that comes to mind is my last home opener. And I sort of knew it would be my last home opener. It was the season after Jose had died and, and, uh, Jose Fernandez, our pitcher. And, uh, that's a story for another day. And I know a lot of you have asked, so you want to talk to Samson. I know that you want to hear more about that day, September 25th of 2016. And I'll talk about it one day. I'm just, I'm not ready to really talk about everything that went on that day. And, uh, I don't know if I'll ever be ready. So 2017 was the next season, and Jeffrey had said, start selling the team, and we were working together to sell the team. So I had a good feeling that that would be my last opening day because whoever was going to buy the team, I was pretty sure they were going to get rid of me. And I remember looking out and thinking to myself, what a run to be lucky enough to have 18 opening days and thinking about each one. And that day, Steven Strasburg of the Nationals just shoved it up our tuchus. He was so good. He beat Edinson Volquez, who we had signed to pitch and who ended up pitching a no-hitter that year, actually, which was quite memorable. We have a lot of no-hitters. The Marlins have never hit for a cycle ever in the history of their franchise, but we have a ton of no-hitters. Very strange. But I do remember thinking that is my last opening day, and I never took it for granted. And that's sort of a theme, right? I'm never going to take for granted anything that goes on sort of with Baseball, never going to take for granted anything that goes on with you, the audience of nothing personal, because little things happen when you're when you're working toward a season. You have your whole off season and you tend to take opening day results as much greater than they are, whether you win or lose. And I don't know what my opening day record is because I never wanted to keep track, but I won some, I lost some. But I remember those games much more than other games throughout the season. You tend to remember over 162 games. You take note. Anyone who tells you, and people do this, and I love it, I remember every game I played. I remember every game that I was the GM or every game I was the president. Give me a break. 
You can't possibly remember every single game. There is no chance that you do. But opening days for me, I always try to catalog in my head. And even as time passes, it's the memories that I have of crazy things that happened. But I don't necessarily remember an ordinary single to right field or an ordinary walk or a hit or a pitch or how a pitcher did. I remember Josh Johnson in 2012. I remember Josh Beckett with home openers. I remember my first with Dustin Hermanson. You never forget your first. So you think about all these things. And I just want to say that uh, for all of you right now, you think that you're having no memory of opening day of 2020, but you are making a memory today. Whether you go back and you watch a game that an old home opener, which is all over the internet or all over the programming channels right now, or whether you think back to an opening day you went to, or whether you think forward to an opening day that is certain to come again, because I promise you, opening day will come again. It's not today but it will be another day. So I end this segment by telling you what I did every opening day for those 18 years. And what I did, I would wear a dress up, even casually in Florida, you'd wear a tie opening day. And I started this in Montreal and I did it 18 times. I would go to every employee, every single front office employee, and then every single game day employee who I would see during the course of the day and this is way pre-social distancing, give them a hug, shake their hand, and say happy opening day. And what it meant was not, I hope we win the World Series. It doesn't mean, I hope we win the game today. What happy opening day always meant is that this was a day where hope reigned supreme on the field and off the field. And whatever's going on in your life, whatever's going on with your team, Opening day is that moment where we provide a distraction. We provide a three-hour time frame where everything disappears and spring is eternal and hope is born and bred and fed and how lucky every one of the employees and I was to be a part of bringing that memory, that opening day to all fans across baseball. Hey, it may not be opening day. But for now, I say, happy March 26th. Please stay home, but just know we will have opening day. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.